are to please the Lord? That's a command from Scripture. So that's a good question. He's satisfied with us in view of what he's done for us on the cross. Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. As we continue our exposition of the Gospel of Matthew, we find ourselves in that passage I just mentioned. We're looking at the 12 verses, uh, the first 12 verses there in Matthew chapter 14. As you're turning there, we're going to trust God to work, uh, edify his people. Verse 1, at that time Herod the Tetrarch heard the news about Jesus and said to his servants, this is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead, and that is why miraculous powers are at work in him. For when Herod had John arrested, he bound him and put him in prison because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. For John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod, so much that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she asked. Having been prompted by her mother, she said, Give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. Although he was grieved, the king commanded it to be given because of his oaths and because of his dinner guests. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. And his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl, and she brought it to her mother. His disciples came and took away the body and buried it. And they went and reported to Jesus. Uh, the sermon title, Killing the Messenger. Killing the Messenger. Sinful, unregenerate humanity hates the word of God and they hate the God of the Word. God's Word expresses His authority over men by its commandments. God has the right to tell us how to live, how to think. But men wish to be their own authority, self-governing. They don't want any interference from God in their choices, their lifestyle, you name it. They want to be autonomous. They want to make their own decisions and call their own Shots. No word from the living God. Thank you very much. Divine truth, however, confronts men in their sin, uncovers their evil motives and desires, and condemns their behavior. The animosity towards scriptural authority many times results in the murder of God's messengers. The Old Testament record confirms this reaction to God's prophets. The wife of King Ahab of Israel, Jezebel, the wickedest woman in all of Scripture, killed many true prophets of God. It's recorded in 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 4. Uriah, not to be confused with the husband of Bathsheba, was a prophet who was put to death by King Jehoiakim because Uriah's prophecy was not favorable to the king and the nation. So he decided to silence his voice by killing him. The prophet Isaiah was likely sawn in half, 
passage in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 37, that talks about one that experienced that, and we believe it was none other than Isaiah. Such is the rejection of the word of God and its messengers. The text before us is another example of the long line of murderers of God's spokesmen. There's a couple in this passage, a wicked couple, Herod and Herodias. They murdered the last Old Testament prophet, John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, Messiah. How did that come about? This text unfolds and lets us know how it came about. Let's first look at the context to set this up for us. The context, verse 1, at that time, those three words signal to us there was about a year and a half into Jesus' ministry. And at that point, Jesus was facing increasing hostility and rejection. The nation as a whole, they didn't want to hear what our Lord had to say. They didn't want to hear his condemnation of sin and judgment and the call to repentance and belief in him and the gospel. We saw last week when he went to Nazareth, his hometown, the place he grew up, uh, they refused him. They rejected him. That was the case here. That's what's going on, uh, this rejection of Messiah. But in this passage, there's a protagonist. I've already alluded to him. We've called him Herod. That's what he's called here. It's Herod Antipas. Herod Antipas was the son of Herod the Great, who killed, remember, he killed the babies in Jerusalem. Herod the Great did. Babies two and under, because he wanted to get the child Jesus who was born king of the Jews so he said I want to get rid of him so this guy Herod Antipas is is in a family of murderers now the text tells us that Herod Antipas here was a tetrarch the Greek word tetra means four a tetrarch was a ruler of a fourth part of a kingdom Antipas was a regional monarch he was popularly called a king. You can see it in verse 9. Even Matthew calls him that. He calls him the king. Now, Herod, verse 1, heard the news about Jesus. What he heard were the miracles that Jesus did. You see that in the bottom of verse 2. Miraculous powers are at work in him. But it, he heard this from others that John the Baptist had been risen from the dead. Luke chapter 9, verse 7. That's why he says what he does in verse 2. This is John the Baptist. He has risen from the dead. And that's why miraculous powers are at work in him. So it ascribed him to Kept saying, whom I betrayed has risen. Mark chapter 6, verse 16. His inner turmoil and fear were the results of his evil actions toward John. His conscience was bothering him. His conscience was assaulting him. For he knew that John, according to Scripture, Mark chapter 6, verse 20, was a righteous and holy man. He was unjustified in putting John to death. He had no business doing that. His conscience was bothering him. 
conscience is a moral faculty that God has placed in men. All men have a conscience. This conscience either excuses us or defends us. It accuses us when we're wrong. It defends us when we're right. That is, when our actions line up with God's moral law. Romans 2.15 tells us about the conscience. Conscience is to the soul what pain is to the body. It warns us that something is wrong with us morally when our conscience is bothering us. Let me tell you, brothers and sisters, you want to make sure your conscience is clear. You want to have a a good conscience. You want to inform your conscience by the Word of God. You want the Word of God to be in you so you make decisions consistent with the Word of God. You certainly don't want to violate your conscience. Don't keep saying to your conscience, "Mm -mm, stop, Mm -mm, stop. Stuffing it down. You You want your conscience to function. You want it to help you. When it's filled with the word of God. Let it be filled with the word of God. Don't tell people let your conscience be your God because I don't know what's in their conscience. (laughs) But the word of God be your guide so you fill your mind, your heart with the word of God and influence and impact your conscience. But Herod, his conscience was bothering him. So that's the context set up here confrontation he explains Matthew does why Herod was saying these things and experiencing these things verse 3 this explanation of this inner turmoil this fear this conscience has signaled to him that he was wrong in fact when we look at verse 3 and onward we're looking at a flashback Herod had John arrested. You see it in verse 3. He bound him and put him in prison. And the explanation is because of Herodias, the wife of his brother. Now we need to talk about this for a moment. The story that follows. Why can't uh, this man, why does this man have this fear and his conscience bothering him? Let me tell you, this story that follows can't be topped by any modern soap opera or streaming presentation. <laughs> no. The story of Herod and Herodias is one of lust, sex, power, and murder. It's right here in the Bible. You see, you thought your soap operas were hitting. No, 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 no. No, this stuff was going, has been going on for a long, long time. So let's explain it. Why John was arrested and incarcerated? Because of Herodias, the wife of his brother Philip. Let me tell you what happened. Herod divorced his first wife to marry Herodias. Herodias was married to Philip's half-brother, Philip. 
Herod lusted after Herodias, and he seduced her to marry him. And she wanted a position of power because Herod Antipas was a regional monarch. Further, Herodias was Herod Antipas's sister-in-law. It gets worse. Not only that, she was also his niece. Being the daughter of another half-brother of Herod Antipas, Aristobulus. So you can see this convoluted family situation. Lust. Sex. And then John had been saying to him, it is not lawful for you to have her. John the prophet was repeatedly saying that the marriage was unlawful. It violated God's law. John at first was publicly doing this because this is an official and no doubt he was publicly doing this uh, and people heard it and so did uh, the Tetrarch saying this marriage that you uh, have to Herodias contradicts the word of God violates God's truth John was not afraid to confront sinners with the truth he was neither a compromiser nor a diplomat he was an equal opportunity confronter. <laughs> it didn't matter whether you were high or low. He was going to confront you with the truth of God because he was loyal to the Lord and he told people what they needed to hear, not what they wanted to hear. When the Pharisees and the Sadducees came to be baptized, it says in Matthew and also the other Gospels that he denounced them. He called them vipers, snakes. And that takes courage. It takes a man of God. Charles Colson, some of you know him. He worked for President Richard Nixon when Nixon was president. Worked for him in the White House. And by the way, let me, this is not a political thing. This is, I'm making a point. I just want you to know that I'm not talking about politics. Colson later became a Christian. And he recount, recounted that people who came to talk to the president would sit in the room outside the Oval Office waiting for their audience with the president. And while they were waiting in that outer room, they would talk among themselves about what they were going to tell the president when they got in the Oval Office. They were going to tell him just how it is. They were going to tell him how the cow eats the cabbage. We might even say trash-talking. But once in the Oval Office, in the president's presence, Colson said they, quote, wilted in the face of worldly power, end of quote. In other words, Mr. President, how are you? All that big talk they left behind, not John the Baptist. After his arrest, he told Herod to his face that he was, it was unlawful to have her. Notice, you see it there in verse 4, the quotation, it is not lawful for you to have her. Those two words, to have, 
used are used in the marital or sexual sense. You can't have her. It's against the law of God. God's law, God's word, is the regulating authority for marriage and sexual expression. Did you get that? You don't look to society to determine how you conduct your life in terms of marriage nor sex. You look to the word of God. Invariably, the world will always go against what God says. You need to go with what God says. Keep your place here. Go with me. Leviticus 18. Remember, Herodias was his brother Philip's wife, and she was also his niece. Leviticus 18, verse 16. What's given here are regulations for uh, marriage and relationships. God lays it out here. He's telling Israel how you are to conduct these things, and these truths apply to us. They have not been rescinded. Verse 16 of Leviticus 18. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. Somebody said, what are you talking about? Nakedness is a euphemism for sexual relationship or relations. That's what he's talking about. Sexual intercourse. You are not to have sexual relations with your brother's wife. Obviously, you marry her. That's what you're doing. Leviticus chapter 20. Verse 21. Hear God's attitude. If there is a man who takes his brother's wife, it is abhorrent. He has uncovered his brother's nakedness. They will be childless. God says, I will punish you. I will close up the womb. Let me tell you what this does. Here. Let me, a couple of things. I hope I can get this out the way I need to. Number one, these were the sins of the people who lived in the promised land before Israel got there, the Canaanites. This is the stuff they did. And God judged them and moved them out because of their, among other things, their sexual aberrations. And he says to his people, Israel, you're not to do that. That's why I said a moment ago, for believers, you're not to mimic the world. What they do it's abhorrent in God's eyes. Sexual deviancy is abhorrent, 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 and we should never, ever be involved in any of that sort of thing. Amen? Amen? Fornication is never to be mentioned in the church. Named among us. Say amen if you can. Secondly, God was protecting the family. 
Do you not know that? You see, this, those verses I read, they're expansion on the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. God in his goodness protects the family by saying, you order your sexual life according to my word and you, then you will be blessed. If you don't, you won't. The relationship between Herod and Herodias was adulterous and incestuous. God disallows them. Now, back over in our passage. I'm going to say this. I don't know if I need to or not. I'm going to say it. Stay away from entertainment that traffics in this garbage because it will pollute your mind. It will weaken your resolve. Don't watch that stuff. <laughs> watch Andy Griffith. <laughs> I mean, you may not want to watch that, but I, you know my point. Don't introduce unwholesome stuff into your mind. Those images will be there. They'll be stuck there, and they'll be replayed. You say, D I'm not watching that. And don't think you're so tough and strong. You can, I ain't going to bother me. Yeah, sure. Amen. Thank you, sister. Stuff you shouldn't read. I'm not interested in the world's garbage. I remember when I was... Uh, in high school, a teacher wanted us to read um, a book about the Russian Russian Revolution. I think it's by Dostoevsky. And when I was older, I realized what it was about. I said, "Why in the world should you have us reading that stuff?" Well, frankly, I didn't read it because I didn't care. It wasn't about sports, so it didn't matter to me. <laughs> If they didn't have a football, baseball, or a basketball, I didn't really want to read about it. You know what I'm saying? What I'm saying, seriously, you want to protect your mind. Now, back in our text, Matthew 14, I want you to see something here that you could overlook if you're not careful. Verse 3, after Herodias, the comma, Notice it says, the wife of his brother, Philip. Divine disapproval is seen in the wording here. The wife of his brother, Philip. The Holy Spirit, in directing Matthew, called Herodias the wife of his brother, Philip. In God's mind, she was still Philip's wife. She didn't belong to Herod Antipas. The Spirit of God said, I refuse to call her Herodias's, or Herod's wife. Now I think we need to uh, offer some biblical help here because these things happen to people. We, we're, we're fallen people and people sin. They make mistakes. What should people do when they discover they did not have, a, have biblical grounds for their marriage? Christians, what do you do? Number one, stay put. 
Deuteronomy 24, 1 through 4. You don't go get out of it and try to go back to the... No, you can't do that. That's defiling. Just stay put. Second thing you do is recognize the important fact that Jesus said all sins will be forgiven men. Matthew chapter 12, verse 31, the A portion. He'll forgive all sins except the blasphemy spirit, which is a different deal. We talked about that. Third thing you do is confess your sin and God will grant forgiveness. 1 John 1, 9. Those things are for Christians. We have a relationship with the Lord, so we have the assurance of forgiveness. For those who are not Christians, you have a bigger problem. Unbelief. Not believing in Christ. You're under God's condemnation. John chapter 3, verses 18 and 36. The first thing a, a non-believer needs to do, if they discover they're in a marriage like that, you, you have a bigger problem. You don't have a, the right relationship with God, your creator. You must, in faith and repentance, turn to Christ for salvation. That's what you do. But I'm going to tell you something. Herod did no such thing. You see it here in verse 5. Although Herod wanted to put him to death, he feared the crowd because they regarded John as a prophet. He desired to kill the messenger, but that wouldn't have solved his problem. God's law stands forever. I don't care how many pastors, preachers, prophets you kill, God's word remains. You cannot silence the voice of God if you silence the voice of a pastor or a preacher or a prophet. His word stands forever. But Herod was afraid of the crowds who regarded John as a prophet. He feared the rebellion of the people, a rebellion that might motivate the emperor of Rome to replace him. In fact, uh, that happened later on. Interestingly, in this family, uh, some years later, uh, Herodias' nephew, his woman he was with, Philip's wife, Herodias, had a nephew named, uh, named Agrippa, convinced Caligula that Herod was planning a rebellion. Caligula had him exiled to Gaul, which is modern France. As I recall, he died there, impoverished, exiled. Things didn't go well for him. A sad reality uh, about Herod is that he used to enjoy listening to John. Mark chapter 6, verse 20 tells us this. He loved John's passionate oratory. Uh, you probably say, some people would say, he can sure preach. Well, let me tell you something. It is not enough to enjoy listening to a preacher or a pastor's sermons. You must respond to God's truth with obedience. That's the main thing. God never gives his word for our enjoyment. He gives his word for our obedience. And this man, Herod, he liked the hearing the prophet speak, but he wasn't interested in submitting his life to the God of the prophet. Seeing the context, seeing the confrontation. Next, we're going to see the capitulation. Verse 6. 
Uh, but when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased Herod. This is a strategic day in Herodias's life. And let me tell you something about the birthdays. You need, it's not like your birthday. The Jews viewed birthday celebrations as pagan festi- festivities that they generally avoided. But for the Romans, birthday parties were excuses for uninhibited revelry, often characterized by overindulgence, gluttony, drunkenness, and sexual deviancy. This was true of Herod's party. He had all the guests there, all the men there, the high-ranking nobles, the military commanders, the political leaders, all the uh, muckety-mucks. It, was, in fact, was a, a lecherous affair. You can see these, all of them there, and they're drinking, and they're inebriated, and they're gluttonous, and you see the text there. The daughter of Herodias danced before them and pleased. This was erotic entertainment. Herodias provided entertainment, and Josephus tells us about this girl. Her name was Salome. The text calls her a girl. In fact, she was a girl. She was a young girl between 12 and 14 years old. And she was Herod's stepdaughter. Can you imagine that? The depth of depravity that a mother would allow her daughter to go and do that before a bunch of lecherous, drunken men for their erotic entertainment. In fact, I read where a commentator said that um, this woman, Herodias, had no equal in wickedness. And this child's dancing before these men. And you see the word pleased? A euphemism for sexually aroused. In his drunken state, Herod foolishly promised the girl whatever she asked. That's what it says in verse 7. Mark chapter 6, verse 23 tells us that he said, I will give it to you up to half my kingdom. Rascal. He was aroused, he was drunk, and he makes this sweeping promise. Actually, he offered his offer amounted to nothing, he did not have a kingdom. He ruled in proxy for Rome. He was simply motivated by pride and perversion. The teenager, bless her heart, she didn't know what to do other than what she did. Verse 8, that word prompted there uh, means give instruction. Her mother had to tell her what to do. And she said, give me here on a platter the head of John the Baptist. She had heard that it is unlawful for us to display ourselves as husband and wife. This union of ours was unlawful. 
and Herodias had nursed a grudge against John and wanted to put him to death. Mark chapter 6, verse 19. And this is her opportunity. Behead him. Now she had her opportunity and in effect ordered the murder of God's prophet. Verse 9 tells us Herod was grieved. Uh, but the grief wasn't remorse over sin or genuine repentance. No. The grief that he had was not connected with repentance. Second Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10 tells us what real repentance does. Real sorrow does. Real sorrow is godly sorrow and produces repentance to change behavior. Here he is. He commanded it to be given because of his uh, oaths. Herod was uh, not a man of principle. He had grief, but he didn't want to backtrack on his promise because he would have been embarrassed before his dinner guest. It was a stupid thing to do, wasn't it? Going to murder somebody, keep a so-called oath, as if, as if you were a man of integrity. He had no integrity. Everybody knew he was duplicitous. He was a fraud. He was a weak fraud. You couldn't stand up to Herodias and say, no, I ain't doing that. And he sent and had John beheaded immediately. In fact, Mark 6, 7 says, immediately. He complied with the wicked desire and had John, God's man, decapitated. In verse 11, John's head was brought on a platter. How gory, graphic. Given to the girl, she brought it to her mother. Someone wrote, I don't remember who it is, he said, quote, it's a presentation fit for cannibals. Of course, his disciples came and got him, John's disciples, and buried his body, and they reported it to our Lord. It says there, verse 12, um, is that the end of it? Mm -mm. Go with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23. Herod got to see Jesus face to face. Herod Antipas, the Herod of our passage. Luke chapter 23. Look here and see what it says in verse 8. Now Herod was very glad when he saw Jesus, for he wanted to see him for a long time because he had been hearing about him and was hoping to see some sign performed by him. This is one of Jesus' trials, and he is now standing for Herod Antipas. And he questioned him at some length. But he, Jesus, answered him nothing. And the chief priest, 
And the scribes were standing there accusing him vehemently. And Herod with his soldiers, after treating him with contempt and mocking him, dressed him a gorgeous robe and sent him back to Pilate. Herod got to stand before the Lord Jesus Christ and treated him with contempt. He rejected Christ. He secured his place in eternal hell. Herod's going to get to meet Jesus, though. One more time. But it won't be on Herod's terms. It's going to be on Jesus' terms. Because at the great white throne judgment, Jesus is the one who's going to sit on that throne. He's going to summon all the unsaved dead before him. And guess who's going to be there? Herod Antipas. And he's going to see Jesus in all of his glory. He's going to see him in all of his power. And Jesus will pronounce judgment on him, sentence on him, and he'll be escorted to the lake of fire by the holy angels. If you're not a Christian, that is the fate that awaits you. Unless you repent and trust Christ. I'm going to tell you, you don't want to be on the side of Herod Herodias. Get away from that crowd, those people and their crowd. You want to be on the side with Jesus Christ. Because ultimately, it's not going to end well for anybody who's not. If you don't know the Lord, come to him. You say, well, I wouldn't ever kill a a messenger from God, but do you ignore his word? Will you say no to his saving gospel? Will you say no to Christ? Turn away from him. Say, I'm going to live my own life on my own terms, do what I want to do. You're rejecting the word of God just as much as Herod and Herodias and all the others do. What will you do with Jesus? Will you come to him and submit to him as Lord and Savior? Take up your cross and follow him. Or will you say, no, treat him with contempt. I'm going about your business. What will you do with Jesus? Let us bow together in prayer. Father in heaven, thank you for the truth. Thank you for saving us who know you, having delivered us from what should have been our destiny eternally. We bless in your holy name. We pray for sinners in this place who have not placed their faith in your Son, and you draw them to yourself. We pray for those in this place who are saved and they need a church home. They'll come and unite here and serve along with us. And we pray these things now in the glorious name of the glorious Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.